Hey everyone, welcome to episode 144 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me as always, Collins Mullen. Hey Collins. What's up Chris? Not much, how's it going? Um, it's been it's been pretty good, been pretty chill. Yeah. Um, you know, I've started to dip my toe into modern a little bit in preparation for this weekend. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure I am up to date on all of the happenings, so... Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we have our Lotus Box Modern Tournament coming up this weekend, so we definitely want to be caught up on that. I've been watching a lot of modern streams, you know, keeping track of deck lists, not playing a ton of modern myself, Mm -hmm. because I feel like I can more efficiently process, you know, what's going on in the format by just hopping from stream to stream and, and seeing what's going on. You know, if I were in a mode where I need to practice for a tournament, then that's... Then, you know, I certainly would force myself to play a bunch of matches, but when it's just about having kind of like general knowledge and being able to describe what's going on in games, I think that our our preparation methods have to be pretty different now. Yeah, I've noticed the same thing. You know, the, the way that I prep for a tournament is definitely different than the way that I prep for a uh, a, a commentary mm-hmm. day. So, right. I um, mean, some, yeah. Like, like knowing how to play Demir Inverter really, really well is not actually going to, like, what happens when you are then watching, like, a Burn versus Breach matchup. Like, <laughs> you need yeah. to know this stuff. Right. Yeah. It's it's a good time for streaming. Uh, there's just a ton of people with a lot of time at home, so mm-hmm. plenty, of, plenty of streams to hop back and forth between. Yeah, definitely. I've been watching um, Zan has switched his streaming schedule up a little bit, so I mm-hmm. get to watch him some more since he's streaming in afternoons rather than you know, super late at night when I am asleep. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've also been watching a lot of Aspiring Spike. Okay. Um, he streams like mid-afternoon. And so it's kind of perfect. Like I usually exercise in the middle of the day after working for a couple of hours. So if I'm at home doing my body weight routine, um, then I will turn on a stream and he's usually on when I do that. So I have yeah. been using his streams to absorb quite a bit of what's going on in modern right now. That's so, cool. Yeah. So hopefully we can talk about some of these things that we've absorbed. <laughs> yes, yes, we will. Before we get into modern, uh, before we get into anything, I really want to thank our patrons. We super, super appreciate your support. If you would like to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast and sign up and we will get on sending you some swag. I'm kind of restarting that process up a little bit. And so we will hopefully get stuff out and uh, come hang out in our discord. Come hang out with us. It's a good time. Um, we're going to talk about modern for most of today, mm-hmm. but we did get a relatively big announcement of an announcement. Yesterday was kind of a wild ride because <laughs> yeah. they didn't. So they didn't announce. They're doing this weird thing now where they're announcing that there will be that bands. there will be bands the following Monday. Yeah, and everybody has been kind of crying for bands in all of the eternal formats right now mm-hmm. because of companions. They're on the eternal formats are on life support right now. Yeah. Um, not great. So, you know, Monday, like around midday, I was on Twitter and I was like reading everybody's discussion about how, like, how really, you know, really hope that there's going to be an announcement of an announcement today. Right, right. And then it, yeah, it happened, but it wasn't exactly what we wanted. So last time that they announced that there would be bands, they did not tell us the formats, right? It was right. just like, we're going to have a band announcement. Yeah. And everybody was like, okay. Yeah. And I think that at that time we were all like, we know what that means. Goodbye, Oko. <laughs> Wait, was that the one? Because there was also... Was, there was that the last them? one? I think there was the one where uh, Breach got banned in Legacy was oh, after Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. And, and that was one where we kind of thought that there was going to be an inverter ban, but in their explanation of why no inverter ban, we got the 
mm-hmm. win rate explanation there. Right. And and so now we know in this upcoming ban announcement, there is not going to be a modern ban, not going to be a standard ban, not going to be a pioneer ban. This mm-hmm. is just legacy vintage and brawl for, for whatever that is worth. Yeah. So, you know, good for legacy and vintage. Yep. Kind of. It's it's such a weird, bittersweet moment because for okay, so for vintage, you just can't ban companions out of vintage. They're all one ofs anyways, and historically you've we've only been doing restricting in vintage. Mm-hmm. That maybe could change. I don't based on see what else right. could be happening here. Because mm-hmm. I, I think there's two options to make vintage playable again. Okay. You, you look at these vintage results and it is almost eight out of eight Luris decks in every single top eight. Right. Uh, and and they have, there there was a slightly wider variety, but it looks like they pretty much coalesced towards being combo decks. Yeah. Um, just like, it's so easy to have Luris add to your engine with paradoxical outcome, a couple underworld breaches, uh, and just go off from there. Mm-hmm. And, and so pretty bad format where people are just, doing their thing on, on turn one or whatever and have Luris as this engine that, you know, makes whoever draws Black Lotus just <laughs> way far ahead, even more so than drawing Black Lotus ever did before. Right. So vintage with Luris in it kind of doesn't work. Right. And the only way of fixing that is either a rule change across all of Magic that's basically like, okay, companions don't work in constructed formats anymore. <laughs> or okay. it's... Or it's actually banned Luris from the format. So because what we have is an announcement of an upcoming ban announcement, you know, it's not going to be a ban announcement for Legacy and Vintage where they're like, okay, yeah, Companions just don't work in these formats. And that, you know, that has to be a rules change that affects like all of Magic. So to me, this feels like what we're getting is an actual like change to how Vintage operates. And because restricting Luris doesn't do anything, right. they're actually going to have to ban it from the format. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I think that it is within the realm of possibility that they're like, all right, this is unprecedented, but we are going to be banning this card from this format. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really think that that's going to affect the soul of Vintage that much. Sure. Like, you know, the idea behind Vintage is that you get to play with all of these cards that you otherwise wouldn't be able to play with mm-hmm. because they were too powerful for the formats that they're really trying to cultivate. Yeah. I think that's still going to remain true. You're still going to get to play with all these other cards. But yeah, Luris is just, it's, you know, it's oppressive and it's just not healthy for Vintage existing as a format. As far as Legacy goes, I assume we are also going to see a Luris ban. Yep. Luris is pretty massively, not quite to the same extent as mm-hmm. Vintage, but close, has just completely taken over that format. Yes, right. To a similar degree to Vintage, Legacy sees bans and I think it's a pretty easy fix for that one. Yep. I don't know if there are any other companions that need to be looked at in Legacy. Like maybe some Yorion deck becomes like Yorion Miracles I could easily see becoming mm-hmm. like really good in that format. But yeah, we'll see. But in terms of the formats that I think that we're all a little more focused on, kind of disappointing to not see any <laughs> any changes coming anytime soon. Yeah. Like, you know, I... Modern does seem like relatively healthy and Pioneer as well. Like there is a solid variety of different decks. Mm -hmm. They're not all condensed into what we're seeing in Legacy and Vintage where it's like only Delver or only Lurus combo. Yeah. So 
But but there is a pretty big, and, and I think we'll talk about this a little more at the end of our modern discussion, like, mm -hmm. because I do agree with you, in modern, like, there seems to be a huge variety of decks. Yeah. But they're all very directly informed by, like, are you playing a Luris deck? Are you playing a Yorion deck? Do you have a super compelling reason not to be in either of those two things? Right. And, yeah. you know, so there is variety, but is it the type of variety that actually makes for a healthy format? Mm -hmm. And so it's a variety, but you have to play these new cards, mm -hmm. which I guess is what Wizards wants. Yes. <laughs> it sounds pretty good when you put it like that from Wizards' perspective. It's That's like, true. Yeah. It's like you have to play the cards from the new set, but you do get a selection of things that you can do. Like, yeah. all right, maybe that's just what they're going to aim for. Well, so before we, rather than just get right into that, why don't okay. we give some context for it and yeah. just kind of talk through the format, the decks that are seeing play, the decks that are doing well, and that way we can, you know, sort of get a grasp on the whole thing, and then we can talk about, like, okay, so is this a good format then? Mm -hmm. We've got, you know, as always, because they, you know, doubled the challenges and had added super qualifiers, pretty much every week when we want to talk about a format, we've got two challenges and a super qualifier we can talk about. Yeah, so. and that's, you know, that's a solid amount of data. Yeah. The common threads between kind of all of these tournament results is... Mm -hmm. There are a significant number of Luris decks. There are a significant number of Yorion decks. Yes. And then the two good companions. The two good companions. <laughs> and then there's some uh, some Obosh hanging around somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, he's doing his best. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you look at this modern challenge from two days ago, so the yep. second challenge of the weekend, looks like Gruul Obosh is actually quite represented although this is just the the top 32 but you know there's three right. copies of gruel hobosh in the top 32 yeah i mean i i do think that that deck is pretty strong mm -hmm. and now that people have kind of figured out that luca is really good in the strategy once you hit five mana which you can get to pretty quickly with this deck you start being able to do some really powerful stuff yeah and some of these versions and i think this is probably bad but some of the versions of the Obosh deck are actually playing Plainbound Accomplice, yeah. which is a modern Horizons two in a red for a one three and has red. You may put a it sneak attacks a Planeswalker. Right. And so that allows you to Luka on four mana, which it's, is kind of cute because you don't have even plays in your deck. Mm -hmm. So, but it, it's just, it's a terrible card when you don't have Luka in your hand. Yeah. It's, you know, its body is not going to be good enough to hold its own it's just a one three but it is sneak it like you know it is going to get a emrakul the aeon's torn onto the battlefield if you have a luke in your hand yep so that's it's not nothing yeah and that's really where i think a lot of the strength of these decks come from generally is just mm -hmm. that yes luca is a five mana emrakul the aeon's torn yep. without its cast trigger. right and I really like this, what I've seen of this specific build of this deck. This is, so there's a lot of different variants of Obosh. People aren't sure if Luke is good or not. Um, some people are topping out at Glorybringer. Mm -hmm. But I really like this Luka build with Emrakul because your consistency is really there. You have a lot of powerful threes uh, that do a good job holding their own. And the Seasoned Pyromancers also help either dig for parts of the combo when mm -hmm. you need them to, um, and represent a body that you can turn into Emrakul. Or dump your Emrakul. Or just dump your Emrakul, yeah. and it goes back into your deck. So I think that that feels really clean to me. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely like what I've seen out of this deck quite a lot. Yeah. The one thing that I don't like about it is that, especially game one when you don't know that you're playing against a deck that you can keep, like, Lightning Bolt Stomp as your early plays. Sure. Like, you have to mulligan to a, a mana 
uh, an arbor elf or a utopia sprawl yeah (laughs) and it that fact might be worth uh finding a few more um mana dorks to put in Mm -hmm. this deck especially in london you know if you're having to mulligan towards one of those things i think that like 10 is a more comfortable number yeah because when you do mulligan and have awkward multiples you can just put one away yeah, um, and, and Nova Herrick is a crazy good card, mm-hmm. but maybe it's kind of medium in this deck that has multiple, like, double red I'd probably cards. prefer a, um... A, uh, it'd have to be birds, I it guess. It would just have to be birds of paradise. Yeah. yeah. Which is, man, a lot worse. It's <laughs> fine. It, uh, it's sad that it doesn't get to double its, uh... Yeah. It, zero doubled to is still zero, so... Uh, Obash isn't really going to help out that much. But I would really, like, if I'm going to be tinkering with this deck, I would probably start somewhere here that goes pretty heavy on for Luka and an Emrakul. Um, but I would not play the Plainbound plain accomplice. accomplice. Yeah, I, I probably would try a couple of Noble Hierarchs and just count them mm-hmm. as, like, making a mana, like a, a colorless mana. Sure. Because Exalted is really, really good. And, you know, that one exalted gets doubled to two on any of your stuff if you have obosh so that's kind of nice but you know generally just like nova hierarch is a busted card and you need a couple more mana guys so maybe try (laughs) the best one right yeah i i think that slotting two of those wouldn't hurt too bad in terms of ramping into a season pyromancer you're still a fetch shock mana base Mm -hmm. you can still uh fetch out your stomping ground and then you know fetch a mountain if you like don't want to take that much damage so yeah, uh, it's not the worst with no hierarch. Yeah, I think it's okay, mm-hmm. but it may, you know, if you run into mana problems too many times, then sure, just do birds. But right, I'd prefer to push it first a little bit. But yeah, I mean, the deck seems fine. There is no draw fixing or anything like that in there. You know, decks like this, there's season pyromancer. I know, but like no, <laughs> like early. I mean, what I'm saying is there's no once upon a time, basically. Oh, oh, sure, okay. Well, I mean, if we're talking about all the busted cards, I oh, see I know, <laughs> but you know, other decks get their, you know, astrolabes or yeah. whatever, and right? To just like make things smooth, and mm-hmm. you're just kind of hoping that you naturally have mana guy, a three drop that's relevant for the matchup, and yeah. then follow up. You really are doing it the old fashioned way for yeah. sure, and you have to be willing to accept that. Um, you know, you are going to have some busted Luka draws, but a majority of your draws are going to be just regular old beatdown uh, draws where mm. you're yeah. playing a Kitchen Finks or a Clothis or a Magus of the Moon or something like that. I mean, Luka does ask for so little, you yeah. know, that, right. that I think a large number of games come down to it. But, you know, one problem with that game plan is that Teferi Time Raveler is a really good answer to Emrakul the Eon Storm. It's true. And there's a lot of Teferi Time Revelers running around. Yeah. So, uh, so it's, it's not, not perfect. the most dependable thing, yeah. But there, there's plenty of decks that just are going to die to the Emrakul. So that's probably enough time talking about, like, the <laughs> third best yeah. companion. We, I mean, format. it's kind of the most exciting one. Yeah. So I, I get leading there. But it this is definitely not, like, what everybody's doing. This no. is something cool that we saw. Right. Um, if we want to take a step back and talk about metagame shares. Yeah. We got to talk about burn. Yep. Burn it's, is the most popular thing that you can do right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, kind of the default Luris deck. Yeah. It seems to be about 25% of the metagame. It, it varies from tournament to tournament, but it's it's certainly around quite a bit. Like, um, you're going to play against it one or two times in the Swiss of any tournament. Yeah. Like, you just are going to. Right. Um, so burn's around. And then I would say that the second most popular deck is going to be Luris Jun. Mm-hmm. 
the Loris Jund seems to have kind of like won the like the mid-range arms race in terms of popularity. Mm-hmm. I still think that it's going to lose to Erosa mm-hmm. most of the time. I think that I would take the Erosa side of things more often in that mid-range fight. Mm-hmm. Just Yurion is able to go over the top of Loris uh, pretty easily, yeah. uh, especially when you're playing so many cards that can trip for one mana that you can flicker with Yorion. And Luris Jund has kind of no way of stopping you from Yorioning your... Whatever your Yorion deck is, like, it has no way of stopping you if you have an Astrolabe and an Abundant Growth out. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of near the floor of your Yorion. Right. And Luris Jund doesn't really have any way of stopping you from doing that. They don't have access to Mystical Dispute or just any... Or even, like, Archmage's Term or whatever right. to stop the Yorion from coming down. Um so they need to be aggressive and they need to kill you with Tarmogoy for whatever yeah. before that takes over the game. And that's just pretty tough based on the plans of Luris Jund. Mm-hmm. Like, Luris Jund is really not trying to beat down. It's really more trying to just, you know, get a bunch of value, cast a bunch of different spells off of Luris after you've stripped away their answers to your Luris. Like, that's the main plan of this deck. Um, and when your opponent just, like, has a looming 4-5 that's going to draw them four cards or whatever. Right. <laughs> it's it's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, and, and just, like, looking at these lists, it is, it is like, a pretty small ball game. Like, multi, you know, a lot of bobs. If you're playing, like, three Dark Confidants and two Ren and Sixes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then there's Kroxas and Scavenging Oozes. And it's just a lot of things that are going to get you incremental value and are obviously good with Luris. Mm-hmm. But against a deck that, like, solves the Luris and then is able to just go card for card with you and then eventually be doing bigger stuff. Because it's a lot. It's pretty easy to get bigger than Kroxa, especially if you have Path in your deck. Yep. Um, and I think that Erosa is slowly picking up popularity a little bit, but it's still not at... A popularity that I think it kind of deserves, mm-hmm. where I just think it's the best like mid-range strategy you can be doing right now. Sure. And the fact that consistently over and over again, Luris Jund is beating it out in terms of metagame percentages mm-hmm. is a little confusing to me, but I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I do think you're right that, you know, Erosa is going to win that heads up. Mm-hmm. But for other matchups, you know, Loris Jun matches up against a lot of things really well. Mm-hmm. Like, it has very good plans against Burn, for example. Yeah. And is able to grind with it, even though that's a Loris deck, because it's a Loris deck. Right. And so you're able to play your slightly bigger cards, and then, you know, lean on sideboard, life gain, and you have, like, main deck scavenging oozes and stuff, a lot of Inquisitions, and you just get to play that game with them. And, uh, I mean, Arosa is, like, okay against Burn, but Burn with Loris... And Erosa has Yorion as a companion, which is not that relevant to the matchup. <laughs> right, yeah. It's not really the axis this Burn's trying to fight you on. Right. So, so you know, that I, I think that's a, a pretty big reason why this is the grindy deck of choice. Is kind of, you know, it's it's not just about winning the grindy heads. Yeah, up. that's fair. I, I can totally see that, for sure. And Fatal Push is a lot better than Path to Exile. <laughs> oh, so much better than Path to Exile. It's a whole card. A land out of Burn is they're just like, oh, yay, goody. I mean, I guess most of these Urza decks are Galvlast decks sure. as their spot removal, but, you know, you can only run four Galvlasts in your 80-card deck. Mm-hmm. That's a lot less removal. Like, Galvlast Ice Fang Quaddle is your removal suite <laughs> when they're just killing yeah. you with one you drops. You get to board in a couple of Lightning Bolts, yeah. but it's, you know, still not great. Right. So those are kind of the major players. 
it seems like there are several ways that people are trying to kind of take a different angle on this mm-hmm. uh, metagame. Uh, the big deck I keep on seeing pop up is uh, Ad Nauseum. Mm-hmm. is like one of the major non-companion strategies that I've seen a lot of. Um, and apparently it's so popular that a lot of people are starting to run Angel's Graces in their sideboard, which is kind of wild. Yeah, I saw a... A Heliod deck, like yeah. a Zerda Heliod deck that just had four Angel's Graces in its it's sideboard. It's for Ad Nauseam. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's like literally the only thing it's for, and it does a really good job at being yeah. Ad Nauseam. I mean, they're dead after when they pass the turn, so. Yeah, exactly. Survive right. that turn. So yeah, just like have an Angel's Grace and you win. That's really funny that you use like their key card and they right. can never ever beat it. <laughs> yeah, it's got split second. Yeah. Not packed in this one. <laughs> so. But yeah, I, I've seen a, like that floating around in like a couple of different sideboards. It's in Burn, <laughs> it's in some other stuff, and wow. it's just because Ad Nauseam has become this like problem. Yeah, and yeah, Ad Nauseam is showing up from time to time. Obviously, the choice for the choice for beating Burn because Burn just can't beat Phyrexian on life plus right. like it's a hard. way to kill you for sure. And it also is competing on an axis. You know, and we're going to talk about this a lot over the next couple of months, I think, and we've talked about it a lot before, is if you show up without a companion, you have to be planning on playing the game on an axis that companions are not important to. Right. So Ad Nauseam is a combo deck Mm -hmm. that kills you and doesn't care about card quantity, doesn't care about playing a grindy game. It just wants to get its combo piece down and then cast an and then cast an Ad Nauseam. Yeah. Same thing for some of these Titan decks. Like they they just play a game where your your companion does not matter, right. and that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, um, the companion does matter sometimes in the the Titan matchups because you're not just dead literally <laughs> yeah. when they cast the Titan. Yeah, you gain some life here and there. Yeah, it's fine. But that's that's certainly what what the the Titan decks are trying to do. Right. And so yeah, like that's where Ad Nauseum is at. But Ad Nauseum is a fundamentally fragile deck mm-hmm. that is playing a lot of. Old. A lot of non-2019, 2020 cards in it. Yeah, and these Lurus Jun decks are still packing several discard spells. Yeah. And those are really hard to fight through as Ad Nauseam. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when that's like the second most popular deck, I, I don't love the positioning of Ad Nauseam. At least there's basically no humans. Yes, that's true. Which is your unwinnable yeah. matchup as right. Ad Nauseam. <laughs> but yeah, the, the discard spell, the discard decks have always been harder for ad nauseum than the counterspell decks mm. but now counterspell decks that uh, you were traditionally strong against counterspell decks because you could get a pact and then just choose when you go off with pact backup kill sure. them at instant speed yeah yeah and so whatever their vulnerable spot was you do that now though a lot of these counterspell decks have teferi time raveler <laughs> and you cannot beat teferi time raveler plus a counterspell yeah it's impossible it's really rough so so you have to preemptively cast your Veil of Summers, and that's yeah, it's not great. Right, and I mean, like that's certainly a play you have access to. Yeah, but if they have two counter spells, then you still die. <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah. So not great, but you know, there you have it. Yep. Um, and then so you're we talking about how uh, like taking a different angle on tackling this like mid range fest mm-hmm. is what people are trying to do. I've seen a couple of strategies that are doing that. In a kind of interesting way. First of all, Will Pulliam has been working on a Lurus Jun deck, but it's not like the other Lurus Jun decks. This is a Hour of Promise, mm-hmm. Field of the Dead, Lurus deck. 
you know, you get to play these big spells that are really impactful and add to the board yeah. in a bunch of zombies, but they kind of skirt around the Luris restriction because uh, they're not permanents. Yeah. Um, so I've actually been really impressed with that deck, um, and I think that there's uh, a lot of good things going for it. You get to play your own Luris game, which seems to be just one of the most powerful things that you can do. Mm-hmm. And then also you have this late game that just completely crushes every other late game. Like if you're playing a mirror and your opponent doesn't have something for your Field of the Deads, uh, you're just gonna win inevitably. Yeah. I, I'm not sure exactly where his build is at right now. I, I saw it play out some and it didn't look quite there yet to me. Sure. Um, I think it had a little too much of one half of the equation and, you know, like too much of each of the halves of the equation of like Jund plus ramp yeah. to be focused enough to actually like have enough disruption to not die to whatever was going on or have enough lands to quickly start making zombies. And so like the Sakura tribe elders did not seem very good to me mm-hmm. when I saw the deck play. I don't know if those are in the list anymore. Yeah, he's actually, he was talking about that in our discord okay. and he said that he cut um pretty much all of the ramp spells. I think that's exactly what what he wants yeah. to do. Yeah. So the deck is really just the same Jun deck. You know, you're playing Dark Confidants, uh, Ren and Sixes, uh, Interaction, mm-hmm. Discard and stuff. Uh, but you just, on top of all of that, have uh, Four Hour of Promise and Three Field of the Dead. Yeah, in that, your deck. that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. I think Hour of Promise is just a much better card than Kroxa as mm-hmm. far as like trying to simulate having bigger stuff than you're allowed to play. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think the, the elders just looked, looked bad. So I, I'm really glad that he's on the same page yeah. about ramping that deck. Yeah. I think the elders were just like too cute. Yeah. It's like this, like, you know, like, Ooh, I can get a land back with my Luris, but it's just not what the games are no. going to be about. No. If you have Luris and you're getting back Sakura tribe elder rather <laughs> than Mishra's bobble, yeah, like on. you're probably you screwing up. <laughs> right. Um, the one thing now that i would like to see fixed in the deck is you do end up generating like huge amounts of mana for your deck that all of your spells cost nothing in Mm -hmm. and i wonder what kind of sinks there are that you can play in there yeah i mean having luris in play you usually can find a lot of weight a lot of things to do with your mana yeah even if all of your cards are you know two or less mana if you're casting a bunch of them it's yeah if you're casting a bunch of them and you've drawn a lot of extra cards you're you're gonna find ways of utilizing your mana i think yeah which is pretty good but you know sometimes especially if they kill the Luris, it kind of just like has a lot of mana that Mm -hmm. it could convert into something if it had anything to spend it on right so i wonder what there is for that but uh, i definitely like the deck once it's it's cleaned up to just have Mm -hmm. this it's, it makes threat. the package very simple. Yeah. It's just like, I can play this five mana big threat that's going to be very good. And then, you know, even in the games where I don't draw the card, like if I can just make my land drops, I'm going to be making some zombies. So. Right. Because you don't have crazy fields of the dead. Like, <laughs> right. you're, not, yeah. you're not making six zombies at a time. You're right. just like making a constant stream of zombies. Mm-hmm. So you need to have enough disruption that whatever they're doing is not then powerful enough to beat zombie zombies. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you do draw your five drop, that is, you know, if you're playing it on curve, it's going to be two zombies as soon as you get it because mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to get double. But if you have six lands in play, then it's going to be four zombies mm-hmm. on its own, which... Yep. Uh, can be really powerful and then every fetch land is for zombies so right. there's definitely times when you do make a, a really decent number of zombies yeah it's just you obviously can't keep up with primeval titan with that, <laughs> so you need to stop the primeval titan from happening right 
for sure. And then, you know, kind of also on the same topic of going over the top of the format, another deck I've seen floating around is uh, kind of old-fashioned Teamer Scapeshift, mm. but with a little Yorion yeah, variety. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to add something in there. But yeah, I mean, so the the main package that this deck takes uh, out of the other Yorion decks is the Astrolabe Abundant Growth Package. So you're just playing eight Cantor procs sure. that are just one mana. And then you just get to play like solid spells up the curve. You get enough ramp in your growth spirals and search for tomorrows and stuff like that. But mainly you're just trying to play this tempo game of uh, like stay alive. You're playing an Uro. You're playing Uros as well. Uh, and then eventually your scape shift is just going to end the game with uh, with Valakut. So It's funny how Yorion is... Just kind of leans over and is like, play snow with Yeah, me. yeah, Because yeah, you yeah. just get Astrolabe and yeah. Ice Fang Quaddle for free. Right, yeah. And just, you know, if you have enough cantrips that are cheap, yeah. Yorion becomes really, really strong. So this deck seems interesting and, you know, potentially like another way to go over the top of things. And if I had to pick which direction I was going in in this format, I think I would try to go over the top of things. Mm. Um, and uh, the things that I like in these two particular builds with will's jun deck and this teamer deck is you have a little bit of interaction you're playing like remands or is it charms so you're not just like dead to the early stuff mm-hmm. um but you still get to uh and then you know will's deck is obviously playing like the discard and everything so yeah. going over the top of things without like being dead to burn or whatever is, sure. is probably what you want to be doing in this format is there any consideration for playing tron under those metrics i know tron does not I guess Tron does get a companion because you can play uh, Gigantha for okay. whatever that's worth. Sure. Um, you can build it so you're playing four Wormcoil Engines and two Thrag Tusks or whatever. Mm. And so you can survive against Burn. You know, so you can feel like, you know, you're not just dead when you play against Burn. Yeah, I mean, in London, Mulligan, I think that you can make your Burn matchup good. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you're really going to be aiming for is a atmosphere where it's open decklist. So, like, I think online tournaments that are open decklist and not just, like, regular Moto tournaments are mm-hmm. going to be more beneficial for that because game ones are so important in that matchup where if you know that you need to mulligan towards your Warm Coil Engines game sure. one, it makes a huge difference because you can just get that game one before your opponent has access to stuff like Skullcrack and stuff like that. Well, and even when you don't have decklist, like, say you're playing a challenge or whatever, mm-hmm. if you see Lurus, you know, Warm Coil Engine is good against most of the lore oh, that's, decks. Oh, that, that's fair. Yeah, so you do get that information. So, um, so yeah, I could see I could see Tron being something that would be good there, but it just feels like there's so many tools that even these mid range decks are getting these days. Sure. That Tron just hasn't really gotten new stuff. Yeah. And like the new stuff that it had in Karn was taken away from it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, no, I mean that's definitely true. It, yeah. The powerful stuff it's doing was powerful, right. uh, you know, two years ago. Right. Yeah. And maybe it's just not. I Yeah, it feels like I think Modern is moving a little beyond mm-hmm. what Tron is capable of. Which, you know, good. <laughs> because Tron has always been like the evil, like, oh, I can't believe Tron lands is a thing that you can do in Modern. And But it feels like right now, like, you know, sure, maybe, but it like every other deck has plenty of tools that I think can compete with Tron. At sure. the moment. I mean, I definitely do think that like, a lot of these Yorion decks just kind of can't beat an Oblivion Stone. Mm-hmm. It just comes down and, like, ruins their game plan and also destroys their, like, catch-up mechanism because now your Abundant Growths and Astrolabes are gone. And Yeah. No, um, that's fair. 
So, you know, if you feel comfortable against the Lurus decks because Wormcoil Engine is good against them, and you feel comfortable against the Yorion decks because O-Stone is good against them, then that's pretty cool. Uh, there are a lot of counter spells right now, though, and I think that that can be a problem for Tron. Yeah. It's just, you know, if your opponent just draws three counter spells over the course of the game, you might never resolve anything relevant. <laughs> yeah. And there's just a fair number of these Yorian decks actually are like, you know, Archimage's Charm, Cryptic Command, and then maybe something else right. decks. Yeah. And, and that can be a really big problem. One one of those counterspell decks that I, I thought was really sweet is this is Aspiring Spikes Blue White Miracles deck. Yeah. Um so this is a Kahira deck so that he can play Jace the Mind Sculptor. Um if there were you know, th- it's possible to build a deck like this that's like Snapcaster Mages, mm-hmm. and then you can run Lurus. Yeah. But I think Jace is just too important with all the miracle cards. Right. You know, this is really just kind of Based on two things, like counter spells are pretty good right now, yeah, because everybody's sort of like broadcasting what their deck is and has like a three or five mana spell all the time that you can catch with a counter spell. Mm-hmm. Um, so Archimage's Charm and Cryptic Command are reasonably well positioned. Also, you know, like Terminus is just actually really good right now. I think, <laughs> um, yeah, and also Counterbalance is surprisingly decent. Okay. So I watched him play a number of matches with this deck, and the cards all performed like way above expectation. Interesting. So one of the cool things about counterbalance is flipping a land counters Mishra's Bauble. Mm-hmm. So that can really disrupt what they're trying to do to gain an advantage with Lurus. Yeah. And he's actually running four Omens of the Sea, which really help counter stuff with your counter mag- with your, yeah. your counterbalance. You get to leave a particular card on top. It's mm-hmm. not bad. Yep. And it also lets you... You know, if you have a Jason play and then you put a miracle on top, then you can use the omen is also useful for miracling uh, it on yes. their turn. Right. So yeah, I, I mean the the deck was surprisingly powerful given that it has a lot of cards that have been traditionally kind of medium in modern, mm-hmm. but they just like were all pretty well positioned. And then you get to play some of the bangers of 2019 and 2020 in Teferi Time Raveler and you know Force of Negation. Force of Negation. Very good card. Force of Negation is so good right now. Yeah, yeah, I believe that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this looks really sweet. Uh, I like a lot of the things that are going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kahira is just kind of icing on top for this deck. It's yeah. not, you know, it's not really <laughs> a, a huge part of it. But, uh, you know. The the cost of Kahira is that y- you don't get to just put Snapcaster Mage in your deck. Mm-hmm. But the deck doesn't necessarily... No. Ha- it isn't necessarily that interested in it, so... Right. Plus, Snapcaster Mage, you know, talking about things that Modern is starting to leave behind a little bit, mm-hmm. it's just a little slow. You know, tacking two mana onto the spells that you're trying to cast these days is a lot. It's it is. a big cost. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this earlier today. Is like, Snapcaster is like a neat, like, powerful but fundamentally pretty fair card. It's yeah. not, like, going up a card and, like, getting to choose the spell out of your graveyard that you cast. It's like, powerful. Fact. Obviously good, Yeah, but it's not cheating on any axis. Right. Yeah. So. Um, But we have seen some number of Snapcaster Mage decks. And in particular, let me see if I, like, you know, and, you know, this one was from the Modern League Dump, which is just 57 different Modern decks, which is an indicator, (laughs) like, holy crap, you can play a lot of different stuff in this format. Yeah, right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that much. I mean, you know, this is, 
This is one of each of every single deck that 5-0'd. Sure. So. But 57 is still a large number. Yeah. For mo- even for modern. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so, like, this uh, Luris Death Shadow deck can just run mm-hmm. four Snapcaster Mage. And yeah, Snapcaster that's... is very good when you can cast it from your graveyard. No, for sure. Like, you know, we kind of saw that concept in play where Ryan Overturf was playing mm-hmm. his Jaces in his Pioneer deck. Just, like, as a card that he could recur with uh, his Luris that could get back spells from his graveyard. Snapcaster Mage, I think, is just a strict upgrade from that. Oh, yeah. Um, where you just, you know, you get to play your Snapcaster Mage and then cast stuff immediately. And it's just a lot more flexible than a Jace. You don't have to untap with it. Yep. Kind of lets your Luris, like, cast Thought Scours from your graveyard in a way. Yeah, and that's pretty sweet. Yep. You know, you can you can fill up your graveyard a little more. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems pretty good. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I do like the idea behind this deck a lot. But, again, you know, it just... It is playing Luris, which is kind of kind of offsets the... Man, I don't know that this deck is really doing powerful enough stuff for this format. Like, it has mm-hmm. Luris, so it is right. able to keep up. And that's... Yeah, you're still a Luris bobble deck, fundamentally, so... And I think that's one of the driving forces behind the diversity of the format the fact that there are 57 different lists in this dump and we actually are seeing decks in like kind of all of the meta archetypes we're seeing aggro decks we're seeing mid-rangey decks we're seeing much more control you know we're seeing a counterbalance deck mm-hmm. and the thing that is tying a lot of this stuff together is like a deck that's like not really playable as a 60 card deck becomes able to keep up if you just have a free good spell every game yeah and you just, like, band-aid over the fact that, like, there are some fundamental flaws to an archetype. And it's just like, well, I mean, if I draw a Mutra's Bobble, then I just get to draw an extra card every turn, so... <laughs> and that'll fix all my problems. It fixes a lot of them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I do like that archetype quite a bit. So, yeah. Ooh, another deck that I want to talk about is kind of going back to the burn style of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dylan Donegan made the top eight of the most recent Super PTQ. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of playing this new version of Prowess. Yeah. So this is, it kind of feels a little more like a Delver deck than anything else. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're a, think of the Prowess shell, but instead of the top end being Bedlam, Bedlam Revelers, now we're playing more two drops. So we're playing some Seeker of the Ways and Abbot of Carol Keep mm-hmm. to kind of like get some value. You're playing Luris, of course, and Mishra's Bobble. Uh, and then the rest of your spells are just one mana creatures and burn. Uh, and then you also get to run Path to Exiles, mm. which I think are decent in the in the metagame at the yeah. moment. And light up the stage, of course. Yeah, and right. Light up the stage is, is another like good card advantage engine. Mm-hmm. And I heard from Dylan that this deck was actually doing a pretty good job at outgrinding the other grindy decks. Mm. You just always have a removal spell for your opponent's Luris, so it's never really going to be more than, uh, you know, a Snapcaster Mage. Yeah. And then uh, you just have a ton of value in your deck. You get Abbot of Carol Keep, which is a body that draws you an extra card. Light of the Stage is phenomenal at doing that. And then just all of your spells are one mana. Yeah. Or zero mana. There's uh, some cheeky mutagenic growths hiding out over here, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think mitigates a lot of the problem of cards like Seeker of the Way, and Abbot of Carol Keep is that generally they're like very susceptible to getting bolted. Mm. But if you can be confident that you can untap with those against red decks, uh, Seeker of the Way becomes a very, very powerful card. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Mutagenic Growth, also, you always have Luris. 
Mm-hmm. And so the fact that you can protect that from a three damage burn spell yeah. if you draw a mutagenic growth is really nice too. Yeah, phenomenal interaction there, being able to save your lures from a bull. Yeah. So I like a lot of the things going on in this deck. And I think that this is probably one of the places I would lean towards starting just because I, you know, I love the prowess shell generally. Sure, of course. And it's, you know, it speaks to me. And I also love putting Mistress Bobble in my prowess shell. So, you know, it's best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. One other kind of cute thing along those lines a little bit. Uh, let me see if I can find this in the... So here is a Luris deck. This is another Grixis, Grixis shell. shell. Yeah. Um, but one of the key interactions is that Sprite Dragon triggers off of non-creature spells, not just instants <laughs> and sorceries. Yeah, yeah. So Mishra's Bobble Luris with Sprite Dragon, you can get your Sprite Dragon pretty big pretty quickly. Yep. So, you know, that's pretty cute. And, and you know, again, this is like one of those decks that just could not possibly be playable without Luris. Yep. Your, your deck is three Snapcaster Mage, four Sprite Dragon, four Young Pyromancer, and then just like <laughs> spells. Yeah. yeah. Removal spells, like Archmage's Charms, Culligan's Command. You know, it's just... But it, a lot of it just doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. You have Luris. You always have Luris. Mm-hmm. If you ever draw Mishra's Bobble, like, your deck just becomes extremely powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's why Luris is being so dominant right now in the format. It's, mm-hmm. it's just everywhere. Yeah. Because any deck with a recursive extra and extra card every turn is going to be powerful. Just that it starts with. Yeah, that you just start with you half have, of that in your hand. You have a Phyrexian Arena as your eighth <laughs> card all the time. Except better because you get the card like immediately and it's a 3-2. Mm-hmm. Although yeah. they can kill it. Right. Like, it's just a wild, wild card. Yeah, it's very crazy. A lot to get used to. So we, right before we started recording, we were watching a little bit of Zan's yeah. stream uh on the tv and he was playing a uh a sahili combo deck mm-hmm. so i guess that's another way of playing a mid-range strategy but still having the access of being able to go over the top of people yeah and it we we talk about oh you know adding 20 cards to your deck like even when you're a combo deck as long as you have enough like filtering and stuff it's actually not, like not that big of a deal like inverter with 80 cards is still a pretty good deck mm-hmm. uh, you know jury's still out on whether it ultimately will be the correct way to build Inverter, but, like, you can build Inverter that way. But, boy, watching Zan play that deck, like, <laughs> the 80 cards really did seem to make it pretty hard to put the combo together. Sure, yeah. Um, especially because the nature of that combo, where the pieces are a little bit vulnerable and you often have to, like, re-combo because they disrupted you and, like, yeah. got one of them. Right. And th- it did look really hard to do that, but... The deck did play just an excellent grindy game Yeah. in the meantime because it's just a snow Yorion deck with right. a lot of the good cards. And I know that that's how Zan likes to play that deck kind of in any scenario mm-hmm. is that... I, I know that in Zan's mind, he just never draws the combo anyways. Right. So he's like just trying to win the regular Planeswalker <laughs> games all the time. Um, and then like maybe he'll oops into the combo every once in a while. Mm-hmm. So 80 cards, whatever, you know, it's yeah. fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that like, you know, if you can really lean on like the planeswalker half of that and then kind of use the orion to go over the top uh you, you can do a good a good job uh with it and it's playing a lot of really busted planeswalkers so yeah and and certainly like the interaction of 
Teferi as combo protection that also is disrupting like a huge chunk of the format into not being able to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And then also just like turns your Felidar guardians into really good cards. Yeah. Because they right. just do whatever, including bounce something, draw a card. Yeah. Um, hit, hit my oath of Nissa. This is great. Yeah. It's a good time. Yep. Classic. <laughs> um one of the other ways to sort of like dodge the the grindiness of the format is I've seen some amount of like creature based combo decks and they've kind of diverged because you get to choose which it's a choose your own adventure. You get to choose which companion you want for your green creature combo deck. Do you want Luris or do you want Zerta? Mm-hmm. And Unfortunately, if you go Zerda, you can't do Devoted Druid combo in mm. your deck because yeah. Vizier does not have an activated ability. Right. Um, so I think that that has caused the Zerda version to be significantly less popular, yeah. which is kind of too bad because that deck is really, really cool. Just the like little challenge of, okay, I got to find all creatures with activated abilities to put in my deck. And so you can play Heliod Walking Ballista. So most of these are like collected company lists. Um, because Spike Feeder can, works as well. Spike Feeder works as well. Mm-hmm. And the really cute thing is that... Oh, he, this deck doesn't even have that card in it. But, oh, yeah, I was looking for it. Yeah, it just straight it. up doesn't have it. Great. So, so the neat thing is like if you have Zerda in your deck, you can run Duskwatch Recruiter. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like if you ever untap with Zerda, yeah. then you can play it. Duskwatch. If you untap with one, then you get to play the other and just ask activate Duskwatch Recruiter for green each yeah, time that's and like draw a lot of cards. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you are a, like a devoted Druid deck. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can't be a devoted Druid deck and a Zerda deck, so mm-hmm. you're never gonna have just like a ton of mana because you have a devoted Druid and another mana guy or something sure. like that. So, right. but you know, dump three mana into it dig three deep for a combo piece like that, that's really cute yeah you'll find a you'll find a spike feeder and heliod in no time yeah <laughs> the zerda deck in this dump though that is pretty sick is not does not actually have any dusk watch recruiters so you know it's got company it's got heliod combo i don't it does not have spike feeder in it which is kind of weird because having spike feeder combo is like pretty good in a burn metagame but yeah i i would definitely want to find space for spike features in here yeah because you you're you're a collect company deck right so you really really want all of your right like collect companies to have the potential of hitting that but i don't know that was the best thing about the deck to me always is that yeah you could just have nothing and you can company into the combo but there's like one really super cute thing here this is a stoneforge mystic version of the deck you can play mystic because it has an activated ability Mm -hmm. you can obviously play equipment because all equipment has activated abilities right um but it has umbral mantle yet uh and so umbral mantle is a three mana equipment with equip zero equip creature has three and untap the untap symbol from shadow more this creature gets plus two plus two until end of turn so if you have zerda and a mana creature, Mm -hmm. then you make that mana creature arbitrarily large, and, you know, either you abyss them with it, or if it's Birds of Paradise, you probably just kill them with it. Right. Or if you have a Heliod, you gain infinite life that way. Or, I don't know, there's... I guess there aren't really any... There's no way to give anything trample in this deck, but you can probably... You're probably fine once you do that. Yeah. So it it is pretty cute, but probably not... (laughs) <laughs> that great yeah and i probably would want to figure out a way to put 
I would definitely want to do some tuning to this deck, but I love a lot of the ideas in mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And I think the Umbral Mantle with a Devoted Druid specifically is infinite mana as well. Because you, yes. you get to get an additional untap with it by putting one minus one minus one counter right. on it. And that's counteracted by the fact that it's plus two plus two. Mm-hmm. It's kind of wonky because it's like a three-step thing you yes. have to do. <laughs> but uh, but I believe it works. Yeah. I mean, it's like just Devoted Druid and Umbral Mantle is... Is not infinite. Is, well, it is... Hold on. No, because it's three and untap. But you're only getting two mana. But it untaps it, so you can do it a lot of times, but I think you don't get anywhere. So, yeah, because it's two minus one minus one (laughs) counters is two mana. Uh This refunds you a mana each time you use it because Uh it untaps it. Yeah, yeah. But So that's just a lot of activations and you don't get anywhere. That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, it's certainly infinite with Azurda in that case, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely infinite with Azurda. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and and that is infinite mana at that point with Azurda, mm. uh, where Umbral Mantle, Azurda, Birds of Paradise is just infinite size on the Birds of Paradise yeah. and not infinite mana. Right. So, I don't know. There's just probably some weird thing that you could do there. But, you know, as as I said, you cannot play Vizier in your Azurda deck, so that makes <laughs> Devoted Druid like, a lot worse. Yeah, less appealing. So... Um, but, you know, people are creative with their creature combo decks. They'll mm-hmm. find a way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can fit stuff into yeah. here. There's a lot of creature slots. So yeah. um, I also do really like the Gavany Township tech mm-hmm. because when you have a Zerda in play, it's very cheap to activate mm-hmm. and you can definitely win games that way. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, this is the list that just had four Angel's Graces in the sideboard. You love to see it. I mean, how else are we going to beat it? Honestly? You probably aren't. Not with this to. deck. Yeah, I'll, I'll gain infinite life. Hey, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know about this. Right. Is there anything else in modern that we have yet to hit? Let me... I mean, like, I think we should probably just talk a little bit about approaching the format generally. Okay. Like, from, from you know, the 10,000 meter view... Of, of the okay. format. Sure, sure. So, you know, companions have rendered the format pretty grindy. And, you know, this is offset in a couple of ways. One being that Luris does lend itself well to a good aggro deck. Mm-hmm. So we have a good aggro deck as perhaps the most important deck in the format, or at yeah. least something that you have to expect to play against. Yeah, Burn needs to be on your radar. So you know you need to beat Burn. And you know that you need to be able to beat grindy decks based on Luris and Yorion. Mm-hmm. So either you need to be a grindy deck and be confident that you'll win the grindy games mm-hmm. and also comfortable playing quick games against Burn where they have a lot of resources. Right. That's um, the squeeze of the format. <laughs> right. That That's like the fundamental squeeze of the format. Yeah. This is one of the reasons that I think there is something to Sihili combo. Mm-hmm. You play a grindy game. Yeah. You have tools against burn. Uh, I mean, I know that Zan's tools against burn were just like, you know, forcing the matchup by putting a lot of core firewalkers into his sideboard. But yeah. That, if it's if it is like twenty percent of the format, then do you gotta that. do it. Yeah. Um. And then rather than just saying like my Yorion is going to be better than your Luris or better than your Yorion. You can just say, like, we can grind for a long time, and then at some point, I'll have a Teferi, and I'll have a Sahili, and I'll have a Felidar Guardian, and you right. can't do anything anymore. Yeah. Um, and and that 
something like that really appeals to me. If you can play a grindy game, I would like to have a companion, ideally, and then I would like to have a way of ending the game, especially if they get the drop on me and they Mishra's Bobble a bunch of times, or they just have more Astrolabe analogs so their Yorion is better than mine. I don't want that to determine the game. I, I would like to have, and you know, maybe part of it is psychological, but I'd like to have some agency, but I, I would like to have a way to turn that game around and then end it in my favor, even if they have outgrinded me at, in some some way. Yeah. 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 So that's probably why the creature combo decks like sort of appeal to me, but they don't play a particularly good grindy game. If you have Luris, it's way better than it ever was, but everybody has Luris. And if you want to play a grindy Luris matchup, like you need to have removal for their Luris. And your <laughs> yes. 31 creature for collected company deck is going to have trouble doing that. Yeah. Right. And if they get a footing on with a Luris, mm-hmm. it's going to be really hard to come back from that. Yeah. Especially if they're like a Luris Seal of Fire deck. Yes. Like yeah. you're in a lot of trouble at that point. Right. So so I, I think if you're ever trying to grind straight up Luris v. Luris, like you need to be, you need to have a decent amount of removal. And because so many people are encouraged to load up on removal for the purpose of killing Luris, that in and of itself makes playing cards like Devoted Druid like really pretty unattractive so i guess i've talked myself out of like that particular approach (laughs) yeah you need to grind in a way that's not totally reliant on keeping some permanence in play yeah um put some arrow promises in your deck sure no big deal yeah (laughs) i mean i'd I'd be down to try that definitely will's deck has has made some strides towards being like a thing that i'm into doing yeah and it's a luris deck so yeah like it's best of all the worlds yeah yeah fixes all sins Mm -hmm. yeah so that's stuff about modern yeah um what if you were playing in our tournament this weekend what would you play i would play um the deck that dylan ran the prowess like the boros prowess deck i think that it can what what makes that better than regular burn to you it's so it's it's you get to be more grindy Mm -hmm. the basic plan against burn has always been like run them out of resources that's harder now with luris but Mm -hmm. when everybody has a removal spell and you're playing burn, they're going to kill your Luris. And, you know, you were up a resource, and that's good, but it's not something that can, like, continue grinding. Um, this deck has a lot more tools to be able to grind, and I think that you can get under the decks that you need to get under, uh, which is really good, and still be able to outgrind a lot of what's going on. And you also get the inherent tempo advantage of all of your spells are generally going to be one mana cheaper than your opponent's spells. Mm-hmm. And... I think that that is pretty huge, where, like, you know, the, the creatures that I'm casting are one mana, the spells that I'm casting are one mana or are free. I think that gives you a really, a really important edge. And I think that you are pretty favored in the mirrors. I think that Seeker of the Way and, like, you know, all of your extra removal spells uh, and your card advantage puts you way ahead in that regard, where, like, in burn mirrors, traditionally, the person who comes out ahead is the person who is able to get more card advantage. Like, it's grindy. You need to kill the creatures that are recursive damage and all this stuff. It's mm-hmm. not just, like, slinging burn back and forth. Right. So I think that you're ahead against the burn decks, which are really popular. I think that you can outgrind the Luris Jun decks, which are also really popular. So that already puts you in a phenomenal spot. Mm-hmm. And then you just have really good tools, you know, and you can adapt your deck to be more grindy or more fast, depending on what other things you're playing against. And that 
like flexibility appeals to me a lot. Yeah. Just one thing to be cautious of, which is Uro. Yes. Yeah, Path to Exile. You do have a lot of Path to Exiles, and that is right. actually huge. It there. is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there, the fact that there's a solution there is pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, the deck looks sweet. I would definitely be be into that too. Mm-hmm. Um, Second lose... choice. Sorry. Sorry, no, go ahead. Second choice would be Will's Lurus Jun deck with the Hour of Promises. Yep. But either way, you're not straying away from playing a Lurus deck in modern. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I would play, like, I think that, one, like, the, I would even put this deck over the, like, both of these decks in terms of, like, raw win percentage, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. But Arosa is something that really stands out to me as very, very powerful right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just not my style. So yeah. I think I'm going to lean away from it for that reason. I mean, these big Yorion turns are just so satisfying when you have They're them. They're crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. the game ends. Right, yeah. Especially if uh, Urza in play yeah. as well, and yeah. you just untap all your artifacts that draw you a card, and yep, draw a cryptic, can't ever lose, can't ever lose. So, yep, uh, definitely satisfying. So, I guess like that leads into the question of like, is this a healthy format? Mm. Like, you can play any flavor of Luris and a couple of flavors of Yorion decks. Yep, you can play a lot of different stuff. Does it make it a bad meta game that really you? have to play a companion or at least have a really good reason not to be playing one of those two companions no i think this is a good format Mm. yeah i think this is a good format i think it is very diverse and i think that we're all just a little uncomfortable with companions still but i think that we'll get over that yeah i think that it makes sense from wizard's perspective to print things that we have to play with and they have done that but i think that magic like the the variety of games is still intact and in a lot of ways they have used this to answer a lot of complaints about magic which is the variance like the gameplay is pretty interesting and you always have gas in the tank and you're always doing stuff and i like that about companions i think that it's good i like where modern's at from what i've seen i think that i do like what companions have done to like non-eternal formats and I think that we just need more time to kind of get used to it. And I think that it's important for us to try to break away from the, well, there's a companion in every deck and that's bad. I just don't think it's fundamentally bad. I think that there's a lot of good to it. Yeah. So I think that a lot of the individual games, you know, there's definitely like an interesting texture to them because there's always that companion there and like, mulliganing puts you in less of a hole and and that sort of thing like it definitely removes some of the variance from it and i think it definitely i I have heard this from a number of players uh especially players that i respect and i think there is something about companions you know everybody has an extra resource and in high resource games like those generally favor the like more experienced like more technically skilled player sure high resource games there's more stuff for the better player to take advantage of. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's part of the reason why I'm hearing a lot of players that I like saying like, yeah, I I like playing modern is because they're (laughs) winning more because sure it's higher resource games and they're better at playing those than a lot of their opponents are. Um, And so I think that, you know, it might be contributing a, a little bit to what I have been hearing about the format, but that, you know, that's not necessarily good or bad, Maybe that is what we want. Maybe we want to reduce variance in this way and uh, get closer to the the 
more experienced player winning more of the time. And you definitely are able to build lots of different types of decks. You can build a creature combo deck with Luris as a companion. You can build an aggressive deck with Luris as a companion. You can build a controlling deck with Luris as a companion. I think that it's not going to be very long before it's just, you know, playing standard with the companions and stuff. It was a breath breath of fresh air, the games where I just didn't have to be thinking about Yorion the entire time. Mm Mm-hmm. And obviously you're always going to be thinking about what cards your opponent can play. You know, when you're playing against an Urza deck in Modern, you're thinking about Urza all the time. Or you're thinking about Cryptic Command all the time. Yeah. When they have a companion, like, you know that they have it. It right. actually becomes a little bit easier to think about it. Mm-hmm. What kind of sucks, though, is thinking about Luris all the time in every single game that you play. <laughs> Sure. And and then you develop these play patterns that are like, okay, you know, save this removal spell for Luris, like figure out when I cast my Luris. And then those heuristics like apply to, you know, 70% of the matches that you play then. Mm-hmm. And I think that at some point that breaks down and kind of collapses in on itself and stops being fun. Yeah, well, one thing that has to happen pretty soon is that they need to print more companions mm-hmm. at comparable power levels. Mm. And I think that once that happens and the percentage of Luris in the format goes from 70 to, in my mind, an ideal percentage would be like 15 Mm -hmm. to 20. And then within those like percentages are like another long list of subcategories of types of Luris decks. Mm -hmm. That's where I am hoping that this goes. And I think that that would be like a really good place to be where there's like, okay, there's like now five companions that are really really strong as opposed mm-hmm. to just two and a half you know like five or six would be a really good number in my mind where it's like okay you know i'm only playing against this like type of companion and i'm only playing this type of game like six times and as like entrenched magic players like six feels like a pretty still pretty reasonable number but i think like to new people coming in six is like a lot of things to learn Mm -hmm. and it's still like a big enough number that it's gonna feel like a very wide variety of stuff so yeah and i i honestly would probably be pretty comfortable with that like Mm -hmm. it is getting used to a different game right than magic has been for its entire lifetime but that's fine we can adapt Mm -hmm. and yeah i just kind of don't want to be thinking about Luris literally every game of Magic that I play. And, you know, from the commentary side of things, like, I also don't want to be just, like, you know, it gets really samey when you're like, well, you know, can't play this Deadweight on this creature here because there's a Luris on the other side, so he's (laughs) got to wait for that Luris to come out before he does that. Yeah. Or, you know, set up his Deadweight to get the Luris. And at at some point, it's just like, all right, Right. these, this, you know, turn four to six range of every game is like Mm -hmm. based on the exact same considerations regardless of what the matchup is yeah no that's fair for sure but you know i think i think that once the number of companions increases and that gets diluted a little bit i think it'll help with that yep i hope Uh, so yeah and you know maybe it takes a couple of sets to get to a like good place like maybe we only get two more quote-unquote broken (laughs) companions in the next set or whatever and then it's four that we're dealing with and it's still not quite enough but i i think that it will get there my belief is that wizards r&d did not understand 
what companions would do to constructed magic. They didn't calculate that it would have this level of impact on it, mm. and they were not planning to make companion a sort of like evergreen part of the game. I don't believe, and I mean, this is mostly me guessing, but this is based on my like feeling about how they have printed cards in the past and how they've explored new mechanics and stuff. I strongly doubt that there are companions in the next set. Really? Yeah. Okay. Like, keep in mind that this is a sort of top-down designed mechanic for Ikoria. Because sure. the concept of Ikoria, one of the big things is like bonding, a human bonding with a creature, mm-hmm. uh, one of the monsters. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what the companions are, is, you know, this terrible beast, but you've made <laughs> friends with it. And sure. so now it's it's your companion. I do not think that in a couple of months when the next set comes out, it's going to have any companions in it. Hmm. I think that there is going to be a sort of wind-up time before they can come out with any new companions to sort of add to this thing. So that is definitely a concern that I have. And that, you know, and that certainly could be true. Um, And, you know, maybe R&D just didn't at all realize the impact that these were going to have. That said, I think that they can if they want to mm-hmm. adapt to it sure. and be like oops but let's see where we can take companions and then from this point on like try to push things in that direction yep but yeah i mean you know not all is lost i think that there are things that can be done mm-hmm. so we'll uh we'll see we'll see yep cool well we talked plenty about modern <laughs> uh not too many updates on standard that Luka deck that just got Luka deck has just kind of run away with it. It looks like yeah. It based on all the stats that I've seen, it is by far the most played deck and also by far the most winning deck. Brutal. So it's just like okay, Luka, you did it. You'd think that we've had, and it makes sense that we like solved this format eventually because there's been so much standard played at a high level. True. There's like every weekend. There's yeah. There's Magic just Fest online. A standard GP and qualifiers for the standard twenty four hour every coverage. Week. Yeah, throughout the week of all the qualifiers. Like it, this format is so stale at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. Like okay, we found the best deck. Great. Can I get the next set, please? Yeah. I, well, I mean, an ideal standard doesn't have a best deck that you settle at, right? It has a rotation yeah. that you run through for sure. And it just doesn't seem like, I mean, given the constraints of the format, the deck that should be beating these decks is either an aggro deck or a counterspell deck. Sure. The counterspell decks, like, number one, there's just a lot of Teferis in these decks. Mm -hmm. And then post-board, you just bring in, like, the counterspells are way better at playing this more, like, proactive game. Like, Mystical Dispute is way better against the Flash decks than it is out of the Flash decks. Right. So the, the, the sideboard games are, like, pretty bad for Flash decks in yeah. general. I agree. Um, and then the aggro decks just, like, kind of can't exist in the standard metagame. They don't really have the tools. Like, they just get shut down. The creatures are just too bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I get it. it. Like, it's not perfect. But I think that this format has been around for so long and has been played so much thanks to Arena. Yeah. That it's just going to be close to impossible to have that perfect standard sure. like you know i think that it's, this standard was good for a long time and it's like gone through a lot of evolutions mm-hmm. um considering how long it's been out so i think that's actually it ha- a hasn't been out that long though it's just been through a lot of iterations and yeah because it's been weeks. played so much right, right. but like a has been out for like three weeks so like three weeks yeah, really like hold on 
Uh, no way. Have I been holed up in this house for... I thought it's been months. April 16th was its arena release date, so less than a month. Okay. All right. Well, so, you know, three and a half, like almost four weeks. And when it's going to be... So it's going to be a while for the next set to come out. Yes. Well, because, yeah, we're not even... We haven't even released a Cory in paper yet. But I don't know. I, I don't know when the next about that. set comes out on Arena. But yeah. Wow. I mean, like, living in this Arena world and in this quarantine world, mm-hmm. it's definitely felt like so Forever. long. Because right. there's been so much of the standard played. Yeah, meanwhile, like, if we were doing this in paper, mm-hmm. you know, we would have had a team tournament and, like... Right. It would have just been stretched out a lot longer. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. It's it's wild. But, yeah, it, it has gone through a lot of iterations for four weeks. Yeah. Um, let's see if we can find a Patreon question. Okay. All right. So most of our questions this week are troll questions about Luris. The closest one to a real question is Lee asking, <laughs> which companion would be your buddy IRL? So, uh, Collins, you got any ideas for this one? Which can, Okay. Well, let me think about I, I'm going to go with the otter. Yeah, just because it's the cutest. It's it's really cute. Yeah, I, and it's not that playable in Magic, but I think that we'd get along pretty well. I I read a deck tech that somebody posted of their modern Lutri Scapeshift deck, and Ooh. it looks really fun to play. And like, certainly nowhere close to like being <laughs> real, but it looks sure. like you know when you pull out wins with that deck, I bet you feel really good. Yeah, yeah, mine. Like, Yorion would be cool because you could do the whole, like, never-ending story, like, riding on its back. Yeah, like, that's true. Stuff in the air. Oh, no, for sure. Like, you know, Friends of the Dragon has a lot of upside. Right, right. Absolutely. A lot of cool stuff there. Um, but I, I, like, from a cuteness perspective and just, like, I'd like to hang out with this as, like, my pet. I'm, mm-hmm. like, pretty into Zerta. Okay. Just like a Firefox yeah. kind of thing. Like, No, that's cool. I, I, I think it's a... And I, I also, like... It's a shame. I think that the design of Zerda is very cool. And if it weren't being, like, overshadowed by Luris in Modern, like, I think it's really cool that you can use it legitimately to reduce your mana cost of your abilities and recruit a bunch of creatures with Duskwatch Recruiter. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, like, if that's the thing that it were being used for, that would be super cool. But, like, the problems with that are, like, the way that you fit it into a deck is either... Like, you don't have any permanents in your deck that aren't Planeswalkers or lands. <laughs> yeah. Or you are doing just c- making one-card infinite mana combos and legacy with it. And it's just Whee! like, oh, well, yeah. that's not... Kinda, that's really disappointing. Kind of sad. Based on the potential of this card. But cool card, neat art, and yeah, I'd, I'd hang out with with Zerda. Yeah. Um, I'm already best buddies with Luris because Luris is in all of my nightmares. <laughs> it's, it's a terrifying-looking card. <laughs> Well, thanks everybody for hanging out. We really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Um, if you want to find us online, you can find us at uh, our website is mtggrandcast.com. We've got links to the Patreon, links to all of our archives there. Um, if you want to become a patron, you can do it at that website or head over to patreon.com slash mtggrandcast. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at ccr underscore grandcast. The podcast is at mtg underscore grandcast. Collins is also on Twitter at Collins Mullen. Um, and definitely come hang out this weekend. Uh, we are 
casting our modern tournament. So if you can, if you want to play in that, all of our patrons have entry into that tournament, and you can also uh, get entry by subscribing to the Lotus Box Patreon or uh, subbing to our channel, uh, which is twitch.tv slash team Lotus Box. If you don't have time to play in it, don't want to play modern, don't play moto, whatever, you know, please tune in, just check out the channel. We will start at noon and come hang out with us. Yeah, I mean, Chris and I will be there talking about it. Yeah, it'll be great. Um, thanks so much and have a great week. Peace.